The past couple of Sundays, we've been going over some of the miracles of Jesus, not all of them, but a few of them. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was preaching in Luke chapter 5, verses uh, 12 through 16, and Jesus healing a man with leprosy by simply saying, be clean. Last week, Pastor Abby delivered the sermon, and she taught on John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and Jesus heals a man who is an invalid for 38 years, and he asks him, do you want to get well? And she talked about how uh, this challenge in our lives that we need to change our thinking, we need to change our hearts, and we need to change our hope and have true hope in Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 5, but this time we're going to look at verses 17 through 26. Let's read that together. It'll be on the screen, or you can read along in your Bible app. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I have pictured this scene over and over again every time I read it. I just kind of imagine what was happening in this scenario and who was everybody that was involved, right? We have Jesus, of course, and he's teaching in someone's home. We don't know whose home it is, but it was considered to be maybe Peter's home by some theologians. We can't prove this for sure, but regardless of whoever's house it was, they were glad to open it up for other people to come in. Huh? Pun? Open it up for people? Man, that's lost on you guys. First service, it went over their head as well, but it's going to be like that um, this whole service as well, so try to keep up. All right. They're in this home, and whoever it was, they wanted to open up their home for this ministry to happen. Jesus was teaching in it. It was a small room, right? When we think of a house today, we think of two, maybe three bedrooms, a bathroom, kitchen, living room, whatever. But this house wasn't any bigger than 20 feet by 20 feet, and that's large considering most of those uh, homes today or back then, 20 feet by 20 foot would have been very big. So just imagine people being crammed into this small space to hear what Jesus was teaching. People were coming from all over Galilee 
the regions of Judea, the people were coming from Jerusalem. We had people who were skeptics, and we had people who came and wanted to hear the teachings of Jesus because they believed in who he was. And then we have the Pharisees, the, the ones who were always trying to poo-poo the message of Jesus and always trying to trap Jesus, get him arrested. And they were all there packed in this small room. Jesus would have had no knowledge of what was going on outside of the house and maybe some of the commotion of these people trying to get this man in to see Jesus. But sure enough, Jesus is teaching and then all of a sudden the ceiling starts to fall apart. And here it is, there's sun shining now down through the roof. There's these heads peeking in. And everybody, just like when someone's cell phone rings or someone comes in late to church, all of your eyes go and you look at the distraction or the shiny corridor and you miss what everybody else or whoever's up front teaching, right? There's a huge distraction. There's a huge distraction. Now, if this were to have happened while I was preaching and someone gets lowered through our roof, first of all, you'd be thinking, how did they get up there in the first place? And number two, why didn't they just come through the door? I mean, it seems very simple enough, right? But again, you're just minding your own business and your ceiling starts to cave in and a person starts to get lowered through the mat. It's pretty distracting. The church that I served at in Minnesota before I came here the senior pastor was telling me before uh, when I got there, he said, hey, you know, just a few years ago, we, had, I was, uh, we were doing the service, and a guy had a heart attack right there in our service. And I was like, oh my gosh. He's like, yeah. He, he literally died in our service. Like, this is Rochester, Minnesota, home of the Mayo Clinic. I mean, we had doctors and caregivers, and this person could not be revived. Now, that is a huge distraction. I'm sure he didn't just keep preaching and be like, okay, never mind the guy with the heart attack. I'm going to tell you God's word, right? Things had to stop. So nobody die here, please, um, while I'm doing this message. But there was a distraction that had to be paid attention to. You couldn't ignore it. It was right there. Lowering this person through the roof in front of Jesus. First of all, what were these friends thinking? What were they thinking? You don't just go in and destroy someone's roof and lower someone down just because you couldn't get in through the door. That's like cutting in Disneyland, right? You're going to get shot if you do that. What were they thinking? Couldn't they have just waited until Jesus was done teaching and wait outside like everybody else and been like, Jesus, hey, by the way, would you mind healing our friend here? But again, they were desperate. They must have been desperate to rip up someone's roof, go in through the ceiling for their friend. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And I said that a couple of weeks ago with the person who had leprosy. They weren't thinking straight. The friends saw the opportunity and what best suited them for right now, and they took it. Jesus is faced with a dilemma, sort of. Does he just keep on teaching and just like, okay, this guy's, okay, what is it you want? You want to be healed? Okay, look, after I'm done teaching, I'll come and heal you. Okay, now back to the lesson, everybody. Do you think that they would have been able to pay attention? Of course not. He could have said, uh, okay, you want to heal? Okay, you're healed. 
Okay, now let's continue the lesson. Everyone had been like, whoa, whoa, what just happened here? What's, what's going on? Jesus could have yelled at him and been like, hey, dude, dudes, hey, what are you doing? This isn't how I work. You, you got to stand in line like everybody else, take an appointment. I don't know, right? But what was going on with this whole interaction? Jesus took this opportunity to do some amazing teaching. He chooses a different way. Jesus instead, he says, look, he saw their faith and he turned to the man and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, it's interesting, this word friend is used in the English translation, which would indicate perhaps maybe Jesus had a close relationship with this person, that he would have known this person. He might even have known those people uh, that were healing, uh, bringing him through the ceiling. That's why they didn't yell at him. He's like, oh yeah, I know you guys, right? We used to hang over on 3rd in, in Brooklyn, right? Whatever. And, and again, if I throw out a Boston or New York accent in here for the character, I'm sorry. That's just uh, what I do when I'm telling stories. So anyway, but this word friend is not in the Greek. It just says anthropos, which means man, human, individual, right? Jesus does not have a personal close relationship with this person. probably never met him before. But in the English translation, it says friend. That's not the miraculous part. The miraculous part is that he says his sins are forgiven. That's significant. He must have known something that nobody else there must have been thinking. What was this paralyzed man's reaction to these words, your sins are forgiven? Uh, Jesus, I came here uh, to be healed. And, and now you've, you've said my sins are forgiven. Wait, what did he say? What did he say? He said his sins are forgiven. Like those guys at the top of the roof are like, wait, we brought him here to be healed, Jesus? Hey, you're supposed to heal him. Heal him. We didn't come here to get his sins forgiven. Heal this man. Just like you did everybody else. Was Jesus saying that your sins are forgiven because you broke through the roof of this person's house? Oh, you destroyed this whole roof. Now, hey, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven, right? Maybe, maybe that's what he was talking about. You just destroyed and you've interrupted my whole teaching right now. I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. That would be like me um, having some, again, I'm just throwing this as an example, that if someone decided to run their car onto the front of my lawn, smacking a tree, uh, chipping off a bunch of the bark, ruining the lawn, and then driving away, and then that tree ends up falling over onto my neighbor's car and destroying the car, I can't just say to the person, your sins are forgiven for destroying this person's car because it wasn't my car. It was my neighbor's car. And so I can't forgive somebody else's sins if they weren't against me. I can only forgive someone's sins who have sinned against me. By the way, they didn't fall over on my neighbor's car, okay? And no, I don't even know who this person was that, that might or might not have done this uh, in the middle of the night around 12 o'clock in the morning. Um, but... I just can't see how Jesus would have said, your sins are forgiven specifically because of this current interaction. He is saying, your sins are forgiven, which is indicating one thing. 
Really? One thing. Your sins must be forgiven. And because Jesus knows that only God can forgive sins, and he knows that the Pharisees know that the only people who can forgive sins is God alone, we see how Jesus is setting up this scenario now, starting in verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He uses this unexpected encounter now to teach these two things. Number one, that it is sin and reconciliation and restoration with your relationship with God and yourself, which is of utmost importance. That's number one. The biggest issue that this, these friends saw, and perhaps what this person experienced on the mat, the presenting issue of his paralysis was actually not the biggest issue. It was actually something much deeper. Now, in pastoral counseling, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, right, but in pastoral counseling, when someone's explaining a problem that they're having, either in relationships or an issue at work or whatever we're talking about, and they start talking about what's happening, I'm hearing what's being said, but typically, most of the time, what is being said that they think the issue is, is actually not the issue. It's not the issue. It's... I listen for the feelings. What kind of feelings are associated with what they think the presenting issue is? And once I can get to the feeling, then I look past that to the deeper meaning. What is it that is inside of you in your core that is causing you to feel this way, right? For this situation, this isn't the issue. Here's where we need to do the work. And Jesus looked past what the presenting issue was in this person's life, and he got to the core. And he said, this man, you need your sins forgiven. And he was about to set up the people who were there observing for a special lesson as well. The deeper issue in this person's life was sin. And was it sin that caused this person's paralysis? I don't know. Maybe. I don't think we'll ever know. Nobody knows. But Jesus knows what the person needs, which is forgiveness. And also, unlike the encounter in John chapter 5, which Pastor Abby talked about as well, there wasn't a persistence of sin going on to where Jesus didn't say, okay, you know, you are now healed, stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen to you. There isn't any kind of interaction in that as well for this healing just simply to say, your sins are forgiven. So he must have been in a situation to where he must not have had um, this trajectory towards the sinful lifestyle. But regardless, Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. And so he gets to the heart. Number two, only God can forgive sins. And since only God can forgive sins... This interaction that is happening right now is about to make some people uncomfortable, which is why Jesus leads with this statement, your sins are forgiven, rather than healing the person first. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? 
The, this man is in need of forgiveness, and there's a change of heart that is not only needing to take place in this man's heart, but there is a change that needs to take place in the Pharisee's heart as well. And instead of simply saying, well, yes, because only God can forgive sins, and I just forgave sins, you can put two and two together, right? He doesn't come out and say, hey, it's me, surprise. He doesn't do this. Instead, he sets them up by presenting this scenario that they are now faced with. If only God can forgive sins, and this man just proclaimed the forgiveness of sins, okay, where's he going with this? And then we see in verse 23, Jesus asks the question, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Well, how do you answer that? If that's what you're thinking, only God can forgive sins, but this person's paralyzed, and you say, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Well, of course, saying your sins are forgiven. I mean, golly, that's an arbitrary statement. How can you prove whether or not someone's sins are forgiven, or in fact, their sins are actually forgiven? I can just go around telling people all day long, your sins are forgiven. Can I prove that their sins are forgiven? Of course not. And so your natural conclusion must have been, well, obviously it's harder than to say, get up and walk to someone who's paralyzed because forgiving someone's sins is pretty easy and Jesus has them exactly where he wants them. In verse 24, his claim to the authority that God has given to him through the Father is revealed. And he said, for this reason, I am going to do something you are not expecting to hear or to see. So the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God and were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. It doesn't say that some people were amazed. It doesn't say a few people were amazed. It says everybody was amazed and praised God. Everyone that was there encountered something amazing Jesus' power and authority spoken over this man's condition. This person was healed physically. And this is what his friends had hoped for all along. Oh, good, he's healed. Hey, he, he's healed. That's great. That's what we wanted the whole time. Oh, and by bonus, your sins are also forgiven. That was just an added bonus, right? No. It was that the restoration of the soul needed to take place first, and then physical healing transpired after that. You see, God is always at the heart and the present, the actual issue that needs to be addressed. Now, the passage also doesn't say that Jesus prayed some miraculous prayer, that there was all kinds of formulaic things. He just simply spoke, and the man was healed. The man who had leprosy, Jesus simply said, be clean. And instantaneously, the man was clean. This leper, the person who had been an invalid for 38 years, Jesus heard this person. In this instant, Jesus says, get up, take up your mat that you've been lying on and go home. No hands no screaming or dramatic 
things that you might see on TV, Jesus just simply speaks of his authority, and it happens immediately. Now, this brings us back to the question a couple of weeks ago that you were all beginning to wonder, and I asked you, does the same power and authority that were given to Jesus and the same power and authority given to the disciples and the apostles, does that same power and authority Is that given to us today for those who are in Christ, who have received the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which are those professing Christians? Now, you know what? It's actually, I actually need to stop. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Well, we'll keep going. Or does the power and authority that were given to the apostles and the disciples, did it cease and no longer occur today? Well, this question still plagues many of us because for most of us here, we don't see miraculous things happen like that. The dramatic, the things that we have absolutely no explanation for, and the things that are miraculous that do happen, we're pretty quick to be a little skeptical or kind of write it off as some medical anomaly or something like that. The other thing is that Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Jesus didn't heal everybody that he encountered when he was doing his ministry on earth. Now, those stories where he encounters and he tells people, hey, you're healed. Yes, of course, he healed all those people. But did everybody that existed during the time of Jesus receive healing? No, they did not. But these are difficult questions. He didn't heal everybody, and in fact, even his own disciples couldn't uh, perform uh, one of the uh, authoritative things of casting out a demon in Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. Only that could have been done through prayer. But we know that God is compassionate. We know that his heart and his desire is for restoration first of the soul, and also eventually when we receive our new bodies in heaven, they're going to be perfect. And so whether or not the restoration of our physical bodies take place here on earth, it will eventually happen. But again, God is more concerned with our soul and our restoration of our relationship with Christ. Why some people are healed and why some others are not healed is a very difficult tension to hold as Christians. It's easier for people to pick holes and say, oh, well, your God must not exist because this person obviously died. God must not be a loving God because how could this person suffer? And I'm not going to get into a 12-part series of the problem of evil in this world, but I could if John says that's fine when he comes back. But I have seen people praying for their newborn baby and the baby has died. I have seen people weeping and fasting and praying over their loved one who has cancer, and the person dies. I have seen, too, with people going and praising and praying to God that this person would be healed, and they're healed miraculously. And the doctors have said, well, there is no medical explanation for what's happened. It's, I can't explain it, but they're healed. I've seen things happen like this. And I can also say that sometimes what our desires are and what we want aren't always in line with what will happen 
or with God's perfect timing and his sovereignty. But I will tell you this morning that there are people who have been given the gift of healing still today. I mean, we have all kinds of doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals. You're like, hey, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people who have gone to school, learn how to heal people. We're talking about the miraculous healers, like the Benny Hens and people that we see on TV. You know, that kind of stuff. That's what we want to know. Does, does that power still exist, or was it limited to that time of the apostles? Well, I'm going to tell you uh, some truths. Here we go. Number one, there was this guy that Jesus loved. His name was Lazarus. And his friend, when he found out, when Jesus found out that Lazarus had died, Jesus wept. He was tore up about it. And four days later, he goes to the tomb and he raises Lazarus from the dead. This man who was dead for four days comes out of the tomb and walks. The relationship is back. And do you know what happened to Lazarus later on? He died. Do you know what happened to the man who was paralyzed? that Jesus healed that was brought through the mat, uh, brought on the mat through the ceiling? Do you know what happened to the leper when he was cleansed and made clean? Do you know what happened to the person when Jesus says, do you want to be made well, who had been an invalid for 38 years? All of those people who had the hand of God literally on them and that were being restored, they all died. We all will die an earthly death at some point. And that's why the focus of the spiritual healing and restoration is always first and foremost, because our life expectancy is limited here on earth, and that is hard for us to deal with, because there is pain that is involved. Now, these statements that I have made, I realize are very simplistic and do deserve more time and if I can next week, I will try to cram everything into this last sermon uh, to, to kind of wrap things up. But I'm going to leave you with this today. With the question of whether or not these miraculous things can still happen in this world and whether or not God's power and authority still reigns on this earth, today the question is, if 2,000 years ago death was conquered by Jesus Christ on the cross, and if I'm still correct today, God has still won the victory over death and over the powers and principles of this world to the darknesses. Why would that have ceased today, 2,000 years later? Is God still not in charge? Does God still not have the power and authority on this earth to rule, to bring about his kingdom? Has he not also equipped us with his spirit, his guide, to be involved in this world, to bring about his kingdom purpose? I will say, of course he has. It did not stop with the disciples and the apostles. The same power and authority that he gave to his disciples, and he said, go and make more disciples, but just don't let the power of the Holy Spirit rest on them. Go and make disciples of all the nations, for truly I am with you all the way to the very end of the age. God is still doing miraculous things in this world, and I think you might be surprised at some of the things that he might be doing in and around you 
in this place. And next week, I'm going to wrap up just the short, short part of the miracles of Jesus and preach something that might be a difficult lesson for some of us to hear today. And you know what? Since John is going to be back, you can direct all your complaints and uh, concerns to him instead of me. I'm just kidding. We're going to welcome him back. Make sure that you give him a high five or a hug when he comes back too. So let's pray. God, thank you again that you still reign, that you are still powerful, that you are still in charge. God, that we recognize evil still exists in this world, and that is true, but that your power and authority, ultimately, you have won the victory. And we want to live into that victorious living as well in all areas of our life. But God, you understand that the restoration of our heart and our soul and the condition of that, God, is first and foremost, and that's where your focus is. So although we suffer our physical ailments and pain at times, we recognize that ultimately our, everything will be restored into perfect union with you in heaven. And so we look forward to that day. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.